Welcome to the link, you guys. Hello, everybody. That was the shortest hello that we've ever done ever, period. Me, for sure. I'm Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mutt. And this is The Word on the Hill. And we've never done the full introduction before, I well, don't think. Until what was this is like that? the first podcast. Yeah, that was like so clean and clear. Did we say Lanky Guys? I don't think so. And we I are the Lanky Guys. We are. I think you said that at the beginning. But either way. <laughs> I, let's can't, not, let's I not, can't remember. Let's not focus on I'm always overly here. critical about our opening. Yeah, are you? It, yeah, during it usually. <laughs> well, that's going to be a hard one to fade into because, um, yeah, that's just how it is. The musical we, will be louder. Yeah, and then it'll be like, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's, it's always harder when we're either singing or rapping something against <laughs> the opening music. <laughs> that's much harder. Dude, so I'm totally obsessed with the Camino de Santiago right now. Are you going to make your, are you going to start your business? Your business? Dude, I am. You might not want to say it on the air. Somebody will steal it. I'm not. Well, I mean, I'm not going to tell them the details. No, of, don't. We don't want you to find <laughs> out, Jimmy. But dude, I was looking at, at uh, trying to get CaminoMap.com. Yeah. And, Did you try to get it? Um, oh, dude, it's like twenty five hundred dollars minimum minimum bid. No, it's one of those like holding companies that they figured out that Camino Map would be something that somebody would want to actually buy. That stinks. And I was like, dude, I'm honked. <laughs> and and then I looked at those new TRLs. I'm honked. What's a TRL? Um, I don't know what the old term. A TLD, TRL sorry, uh, top level domain. Mm. So they've been adding ones like .guru, .ninja. Really, you .travel. can do that. Travel, yeah. They just are adding all these like crazy new. You can ones. just add whatever you want. You can just do what you want. Um, no, I mean the companies are releasing them, but they're fraught with all sorts of weird difficulties and things like it this. It sounds fraught. So anyway, here we are. You got a call yesterday. Tell us about your phone call. Well, this is the thing is a few days ago, I got a call f- from a guy named Paul. And Paul, um, Paul. I was just, I was like, I- I'm notoriously the absolute worst person to get back to phone calls in the universe. Yeah. I mean, some people are bad at emails, some beta- people are bad at like phone calls. I'm bad at both. I mean, I'm just like, you're okay at emails. I'm okay. You're better at, at texts. Way better at texts. You want to get old Father Peter, text him. Yep. 303. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. 303, baby. And, um, so uh, this guy, I called this guy Paul back, and I'm like, "Hey, Paul," and he was like, <laughs> and I was like, "What?" I was like, "Man, this guy is like, it's like it is like so crazy." I mean, you can't even you can't even hear anything. And I was no. like, "Dude, this is this dude like a soldier <clears throat> in a war zone?" I mean, I mean that was like what it sounded like. And he's like, "Pardon me for a second. And so then he then he rolled up his windows and he's like, "Well, I'm a truck driver." Oh, uh, we're huge in the truck driving world. And he was uh, and he was like, "I read two things." I read scripture and J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. And he's like, the other week when you brought up the uh, two trees in the Garden of Eden and the oh, two yeah. trees yeah. in uh, in Middle Earth, like, dude, it was the best. And so we just like talked about the Cimmerillion for a while. And nice. It was like super cool, but uh, but it de- definitely made me realize it did like to all our truckers. What's up? Oh, oh. <laughs> we were both doing the hand. <laughs> <laughs> It's the best. So, Paul, thanks for the, the call. And just like, thanks that's for the best. listening, Paul. Yep. So that's here's you. to you. Here's to you on this lovely feast day of St. Joseph. Oh, yes. We are recording on the feast of St. Joseph. Happy yeah. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you and all you Josephs out there and all you Peter Josephs or whatever your last name is. Or Joseph is. Peter. Joseph Peters. There's a guy. I know Joseph Peter. You do? Yeah. I can't remember he- who he is, though. Oh, hold on. Never mind. I know who he is. I got some. It's okay. <laughs> no, that's terrible. 
Actually, remember your godson. Yeah, I can't remember my godson. I remember my name. godsons. I got two godsons. Yeah, I'm trying to remember his middle name. I think it's it's Joseph Beter. That, That's fine. 90%. Do you remember his first name? Yeah, Joseph. Okay, so you know that for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's his feast day. He Great. came to mass this, just now. You want to hear something cool? Uh-huh. I've got a godson named Anselm. No, how cool is that, dude? That means that you're holy. He's so, a stud, man. He's holy. This is the question: is like if you guys out there. I mean, that's that's how well you could tell you if you're Catholic by how Catholic mm. your godchildren's names are. Absolutely, I think I win so far. Oh, dude, you do. I mean, like if you have twins, you named them Perpetua and Felicity. You get oh, whooped yeah. though, dude. And then you're the godparent to both. Or Cosmos and Damien. Oh, dude, that would actually be really sweet. Except <laughs> that would be cool. Damien is kind of a rough name in Why? this contemporary culture. Is it Damien? I know a lot of Damians. Yeah, but it's so close to demon. Oh, demon, 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 the demon. Well, there's demon. Yeah, Gaelic for demon. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, no, sorry to all you demons out. Demons out. <laughs> oh, oh dude. my gosh. See, that's the problem, right? Yeah, there, this is dude. the problem. Okay, you've proved yourself. Well, I did, so I got in text recently. Um, maybe thank you, Alyssa, for complimenting us on how quickly we got into the reading. So we just have to really? keep talking. Yeah. No, we got. No, we got to keep that happiness of the of the listening base. Well, today, my friends, we are in the second Sunday of Lent. We're in the third Sunday. Third Sunday of Lent. Enough. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, and it's right. uh, our first reading is from the book of Exodus, Exodus. 17, 3 through 7. Seven. <laughs> worked out. Oh, bah, bah, bah. yeah, dude. That was the best. Good job. <laughs> Thank Good you. And then we have Psalm 95. 95. 1 to 2. 6 to 7. Eight to nine. Mm-hmm. Words that. Then we have the book of Romans. Chapter five. One through two. Five through eight. And we have the gospel of? John. Five. Uh, four. <laughs> five, th- five through 42. This is a long one. So if you guys are listening to Lanky guys, prepare yourself for standing up for a long time a when long... you've got the proclamation of the gospel. And you know what? It's only going to get... It's only going to get longer this Lent. Dude, this oh. This is just the, yet the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Of the Johnny baby. Long readings. This is just the uh, Johnny Long. <laughs> Hi, my name is Johnny <laughs> Long reading. Dude, that would actually be, dude, that's a great kind of Western name. Long Johnny, Johnny Long. Long reading? Yeah. He's like the school marm or the school teacher. Dude, school. I just started reading Strangers and Sojourners again. Oh, yeah. yeah speaking, speaking of school, school teachers. That's right. I read. It's been a long time since I've read that book. It's a good book. It is a good it's book. It's a good book. Hey, I highly re- encourage reading Michael O'Brien novels during Lent because it's a good distraction. They're good f- fictional tales, but they always help you pray. So Be careful with Island of the World, though. It'll mess you up. Oh, man. Same with um, Cry of Stone. I haven't read Cry of Stone. Oh, dude. All of them mess you up, dude. They're so oh, intense, dude. Yeah. Well, the earlier ones didn't. Father Elijah is pretty. It's pretty cool. So strangers and sojourners. And yeah, stuff. but um, plague journal, and then by the time you get to eclipse of the sun, it starts to get. It's it, a little weird. But it, does, it doesn't mess you up quite like Island of the World, which is Island like of the world, is darker man. father's tale. If Whoa. you've read it, then you know. If you haven't, you might just be warned. It's rough. Just, Pretty early on. Yeah. I actually started reading it a number of years ago, and I had to stop. And I just I plowed through this last year. That was kind of like C.S. Lewis when he wrote the Screw Tape Letters. Really? Yeah, he had to deal with so much evil that he had to stop. Oh, man. It's hard. All right. Speaking of evil. Um, Exodus. Exodus, movement of the people. So Exodus 17. This is the the famous story of the rock of Horeb, or the rock at Horeb. Okay, let's get straight about Horeb, okay? okay. Are you ready for getting straight about this? Uh, yeah, maybe. Okay, yep. see, Horeb okay. isn't Horeb. Um, um, for some you reason, is not it, ask me a, a question I don't know the answer. No, to. This go is, for it. I just think that isn't Horeb's the same place as Golgotha? The same place as 
um, the the like the burial place of no. Adam. Well, it's not Golgotha because they're not in the Promised Land yet. Oh yeah, because it's in the. So they're desert. still outside. The, they're still outside of the land. So they're, they're near Mount Sinai, somewhere near Mount Sinai. Okay, because so they'll I, get there in the next couple chapters. I don't know why I had Horeb associated in my mind with something that was the Promised Land. No, I mean no, they're I, not there yet. You think that I would know better? You would think that. I'm just happy. You made me nervous. I wasn't going to know the answer. There's been a lot of weeks these last few weeks where I've had to pause while I don't know the answer to your questions, and I just edit it right together as though I know exactly what I'm talking about. See, this is I, li- I, I like this gig, you guys, because basically Scott and I sit here, and um, I am way um, less educated on in in scriptural matters Sweet. than Scott. I'm I'm um, and so, but I get to ask him these really hard questions because that he doesn't know the answer. to I them. knew the answer to that one though. Well, you did know the answer. Yahtzee. In your face, Father Peter. In your face. All right. So Exodus 17. So Rock at Horeb. Rock of Horeb. Rock at Horeb. So we're in... Um, rock of Ages. Here, here's where we are in the story. So they've they've just recently been released from the Exodus, uh, from Egypt, right? They've been freed from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. And now they're entering into this whole series of complaints in the desert. So they, they've been set free, but they're going to find out that freedom is really difficult. Freedom, and, freedom is not easier than chains. Freedom is not free. Huh? That's a bumper sticker for you. In your face. In your face. So they're in, uh, it's actually interesting what this section begins from around chapter 15 through 17 or so, this general vicinity, there are 10 complaints. So 10 times the people of Israel will lodge complaints against, against Moses, but really against God. And those actually parallel the ten plagues that befell on uh, that, that fell on Egypt, and the so ten commandments, and the ten commandments, which are going to come later. So there's a set of sort of three tens, three ten plagues, ten complaints, and there'll be ten commandments later on. Dude, that's freaking me out. That's super cool. Yeah, I had no, I had no idea of the pattern. Um, and in this particular section, this is we're in the section of what's called the three cries of Israel. So there's three major things. Though. I mean, some of the things they complain about are legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> Your cry sounds like a laugh. (laughs) But some of the things are legitimate. I mean, they're in the desert. It's the burning hot sun, and they have no water. So, I mean, that that one's actually kind of legit. I mean, we give Israel a hard time because they're these terrible people. But if you were stuck in the desert out in Moab or something and you didn't have any water, you'd be be pretty upset, too. It would be hard. I mean— that's pretty hard. I, d- I didn't have water for like a day. Ugh. I would like to have one glass of water. And I was like, man, my head hurts. My head Dude, hurts. these dudes, I bet you they had some serious dehydration headaches. Probably. No, I was about to go somewhere else too. But anyway. Um, Please you, keep, no. You dude. know where I was going. Yeah, I was going. Okay. Yeah, every, all the um, audience knows exactly where you're going too. <laughs> just, I work in the outdoor say, field and it's important to keep yeah. track of those things. Anyway, <laughs> the three cries of Israel are water, uh, meat, uh, bread, and meat. All of which God will respond to, right? So they're, they're first going to start, but listen to what they say. So it says, in those days, in their thirst for water, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, why did you ever make us leave Egypt? Was it just so we could die here of thirst and our children and our livestock? Which so, is like totally the wrong response. It's Let's totally be, the wrong response. What, I mean, the, the want of water is legitimate. Yes, Their but reaction the, to it is wrong. Which is totally us. It's like it's like it's like I don't get what I want. God is not existent. Oh, it's like it's like Israel and Moses are on the worst road trip ever. <laughs> <laughs> are we there yet? Are we have any water? Can we have some more quail? Can the radio? I mean, that would just be the worst, right? I've never had quail. But it's interesting. This is where, <laughs> I, and I didn't vote for Bush quail. Uh, there's a 
Pump. Did you see the bumper sticker outside here? <laughs> yeah, there's a Bush Quail '88 bumper sticker out there. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy. It's clearly a new bumper sticker. Yeah, for our next door neighbors, I like. I have no idea. <laughs> it made me happy. Anyway, it's like the butterfly effect. But one of the things that's going on in the text, though, um, so they've just been released from Egypt, where God showed Himself as their Redeemer. He's going to set them free, and now He's going to show Himself as the Provider, right? So he's espousing himself. So the, the, the 10 plagues and the releasing from Egypt was, in a certain sense, God proving he wanted to woo them as a spouse. He's proving how great he's showing off in a, in a good way, not in a negative way, trying to say, I'm the spouse that you should be with, not these gods of Egypt and all this other stuff. Now he's trying to show that, look, I'm going to be a good provider for you as well. He wants to woo them. He wants to win their hearts. He wants to be their spouse. And actually, the Israelites, the, the ancient Jews, saw the Ten Commandments as the marriage vows between God and his people. So now he's still kind of courting oh, them. So cool. he's showing, I'm going to be a good provider. So he's going to give them water from this rock. He's going to give them manna from heaven. He's going to give them all these quail. They're going to magically fall from the sky. And it's, it's kind of this beautiful moment. But the, he, he, despite the fact that they're kind of whiny and that they're complaining and they're grumbling and they're doing all this stuff— um, Let's actually finish reading it. So, so they're whining, and Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? A little more than they'll stone me. I'm going to pull this car over, and we're going back to Egypt. No, they're going to pull this car over and kill him. Yeah, no, they're pretty ticked off. I mean, which I, I mean I've been dehydrated before. And imagine if there were like 20,000 of you all dehydrated at the same time. Getting all crazy. Group, group think, group dehydrated think. I mean, it would be pretty uh, messed up. Oh, no, dude, that's like scary stuff. Yeah. So God says, go over there in front of the people along with some of the elders. Hold your hand, holding in your hand as you go, the staff that you struck the, the Nile River with, right? And um, I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water's going to flow for it for the people to drink. Moses did it. Uh, they called the place Massa and Meribah, which means, um, let's see, Massa, what is it? Massa means proof, right? So God is proving he's going to be faithful. Um, Meribah, I think, means, means contention, right? Um, Miraba and Massa, 40 years they uh, in, I endured them and they, their hearts go astray and they do not know my ways. So Which I hasn't s- happened yet. We're swore not... in my anger they shall not enter into my rest. Oh, it's a bummer. That's a hard psalm. It's interesting that this rock, the rock of Horeb, is going to... Um, it's believed, that the ancient tradition is that the rock actually, they took it with them. They decided, they're like, well, here's a rock that gives water. We should probably bring that with us in the desert. Yeah. So they bring the rock with them, and it was this constant reminder of God providing for them. Paul, St. Paul, later on in the book of Corinthians, I believe it is, is going to remind them of the rock being Christ. The rock was Christ. He is the provider, but he, it was a sign. Do you remember that in 1 Corinthians 10, I think, something like that? Yes, I do. So so we see the, um, um, we see the foreshadowing. We see the typology here uh, in the Old Testament of Exodus. So that, that's our Exodus story. Make sense? It does. I am. Um... <clears throat> and that knowing that the uh, rock, at least for Paul, how Paul interpreted this, that the rock represented Christ, that leads us perfectly into the psalm because the psalm is great. So Psalm 95 says, today, if, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And I, I kept reading the responsorial Paul, thinking, okay, part, thinking, okay, how does that apply? If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. He, he's going to provide. That's hearing his voice. Don't distrust. Yeah, that's all true. But then I, <laughs> like 20 minutes into it, I actually read the psalm and it says, come, let us sing joyfully to the Lord. Let us acclaim what? The rock of our salvation. Mm. So the reason the church has chosen this psalm is not just if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, but he is the rock that is going to provide for you. Christ is the rock, like Paul says, that's going to give you wellsprings of water and all this stuff. Well, this, I mean, all of a sudden, let's get to Jesus and to see, like, 
if he is the rock of our salvation, what does that actually mean? He's going to be struck before us. Right, right. Did I ruin your punchline? No, I just thought of it. I, I have. I thought that we didn't mention, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It'd be like like he's struck before us, and what is what happens? Water and blood flow from Water. his side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In front of all of the people who are grumbling. Yep. And this is the thing: is that, but but what is he showing? This is the thing: is that um, the cross demonstrates to us who we really are. Yeah. And we are people who have hard hearts. Hard hearts that are stony. Stony. Oh. And so ooh, Jesus takes ooh, on our stony heart. Good. Look and at Cracks you. it open. Wow. And then makes life flow from. Oh. So harden not your hearts. Don't let your wow. heart because because a hard heart to to have it flow life again must be struck. That's good. And so what does he do? Is he takes that strike to himself so that mercy can be ours. Wow, that was really good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Th- Thank you. That was really good. Yeah. So yeah. I was thinking about something. Okay. I don't. This might be a tangent. I don't think it's a tangent. But I was thinking about. As I was reading this, I kept thinking to myself, okay, I better prepare for this because I bet Father Peter's going to ask me. <laughs> I thought that Moses was punished for striking the same rock later on. Remember that? Well, that's what? later on. It's it's in numbers. Yeah. But it has it, it's kind of tied to this because it's going to be the same. Presumably, it's the same rock if they brought it with them. Remember? Oh, yeah. Well, and this is the thing is that like he, he's, well, didn't he say don't strike the rock at that point? Didn't he say talk to it? Oh, I think so. What's understood, the reason that Moses was punished is they struck it twice. He was only supposed to strike it once. He strikes it twice. He's he's clearly ticked off. I mean, he does it out of anger. That, that's the bottom line. He's he's angry. He's ticked off. He's frustrated by the people. And he strikes it twice. But, but, uh, okay. I, I don't even think he's supposed to strike it. He might not have been. I actually think he was just actually supposed to, supposed speak, to speak to, to it. We'd have to go back to Numbers 20, I think it is, to look at that. But, okay, this has always bothered me, though. Because, wait a second. So, let's just presume that's true for a second. Moses has been more than patient, right, with the people of Israel. He is, there's none like Moses. It actually says that in the Old Testament. There is none like Moses because he showed us who God was. He led the people. He showed solid. Remember, God was going to turn his back. He's like, no, I'm with these people. I'm, I mean, he is, he is, it's hard to find a more profound person, figure, hero in the Old Testament than Moses, right? Yeah. He gets ticked off one time. And he whacks a rock with a stick. Twice. Twice. For that reason, though, for that one slip, he does ne- he never gets to see the promised land for which he was completely faithful, for which Ugh. he led the people. Doesn't that sound inordinate to you, though? It does. It's one of these things it's that's very always much. bothered me. Yeah. That just, I mean, look at the people. Look at all. Look at all the things he endured. And he. I mean, what? And what does that say to us? I mean, you know, you lose your temper one time, and that's that's it. You're done. You're finished. And I've always wondered about that. There's a um, there's a guy. There's an author named Damascus Winson. Have you heard of him? No, but dude, that his parents <laughs> that his parents name? were rocking, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Damascus Winson. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's 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 something. But he and I forget what book, but it's Damascus Winson. He's great. But he wrote one. This blew my mind because he said what's actually happening. And he was right. I think he was writing a commentary on Deuteronomy when Moses dies. But he said what happens is not that. Because we're looking at this wrong. We, we focus on the fact that he, he lost his temper, and that's why he doesn't get to go to the promised land. He says, no, that's not so. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of a factor here. But that's actually not why God chooses this, because that's inordinate. That doesn't make any sense. He says the reason that God chooses, and God even goes out of his way to say, 
how great Moses is. He speaks of how there's God himself says there is none like Moses. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. So he actually suggests, no, what Moses actually gets, even though he never sets foot in the promised land, what God is doing through Moses, if you look at the moment of his death, he Moses is able, is allowed, is permitted to prefigure Christ like no one else in the Old Testament until Abraham, at least, in that he is asked to sacrifice and give of himself totally. He wears the crown of thorns in a certain sense of having to give up and sacrifice and um, abandon himself to what he thought was his whole goal and in that way conforms himself in a very unique way to Jesus Christ himself. So what God actually does through Moses is not just say, well, you can't do this because you were sticking in the mud, but he actually allows him to share in what Christ will eventually do in that self-emptying of everything that was him. He shares in that, which I thought was kind of beautiful. On a mountain, overlooking on Mount Nebo, overlooking the promised land that he'll never step foot into, he goes up on that mountain in a certain sense onto his own Calvary and he prefigures Christ in that way. I thought that was really beautiful. Dude, that's really, it's really beautiful. And like, talk about the, the truth or the spiritual lesson of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Being configured in, <clears throat> in such a way that like you work your whole life. I mean, we, we, we talk about it tritely in the church yeah. and you say, oh yeah, you know, um, one person, you know, digs, another person plants, another person yeah. waters and another person harvests. Yeah. That like, dude, it's no, it's, that's like for real hardcore suffering. Like, yes. Like. You can work your whole life and and not bear the fruit of the of of the promise of what your work is, yep. even though it's totally just and right, and it's yep. and it's this configurement to Jesus who like, right, really is doing it for us. Absolutely, and, uh, it's a twenty. Uh, it's a Numbers twenty verse eight. Okay, take the rod, assemble the congregation, you Aaron and your brothers, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield uh, its water. It. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, well, he kind of threw him off by saying, "Take the rod." I mean, come on, like, he's like, he's like, I don't know, what, do, <laughs> what do I do with this rod? He's like, "Rock, yield your water." <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, now, I that made me think of something. So let's move on to Romans because I, I was I have an idea okay. about something. Hit me. So Romans, I mean, but five. not twice. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> very good. Oh, actually, I'll just, just, speak just to tell you. me. <laughs> okay, so this is the beginning of Romans chapter five, which is uh, most scholars think this is kind of the centerpiece of Romans. It's Paul's Paul's major theology, and so in his centerpiece of his thought, he says, "Brothers and sisters, since we have been justified by faith, we now have shalom. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ." So through Adam, we lost relationship with God. Through mm-hmm. Christ, we have it restored again through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this passage talks about having access. We can enter into that thing that was once lost. And I'm thinking about Moses, and I'm thinking about what we just talked about. Moses was not granted access into the thing in which he hoped, was he? No. Or was he? Does Moses ever physically set foot in the promised land? He, well, I mean, if we look into the New Testament in the Transfiguration. Absolutely. Dude, there nice, is a qu- point, qu- nice directive question. Well, there is a point where Moses literally stands within the promised land. He gains access. How does he gain access? Through Jesus Christ, which is what Paul says gains us access into the hope in which we stand. Moses eventually will stand in the hope 
that thing that he hoped with, with Jesus on another mountain with Elijah. Anyway, I was just thinking about that as we were, as we were talking about that. And I was like, that's dude, that's awesome. You're just like blowing. Isn't my... that cool? Yeah, I, was yeah. just, I just started thinking about this. We were talking now that's, you know, Moses's death is not the reading from this week. So it's not the connection with the readings <laughs> or anything, but it's, it is kind of an interesting, I, Moses is sort of an example of this. All those, you know, and, and, Paul often talks about all these people of the Old Testament who hoped in, who they hoped against hope. That was their faith. Moses has this faith and he actually literally gets to see the fruit of that. And well, we can, we can, we can have that. We can access that. We can and, and I mean, stand and, in that hope. Yeah. And, and I mean, and this is, this is the crazy thing that like when you see the Mount of Transfiguration and you see Moses and then you relate Jesus's passion and, and Moses's exodus back to Jesus's exodus and his, and his passion, then all of a right. sudden you get this like yeah. absolutely vivid account of what does it mean to die, to go through what it means. And in some ways, like he's imaging the, um, the descent to the dead. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then the resurrection and the life. Like yeah. Moses, and, and the, this is the thing, is that Moses was a righteous man, but he was still a sinner. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and that's demonstrated in that, but that that's actually why Jesus and him are actually talking and conversing. Like, yeah. dude, I cannot wait myself to talk to Jesus about all of the passion that he's invited me and you and the people I serve, oh. all of you who are listening into. Oh. I mean, you guys are going to get to decompress with him and to be able to actually have an explanation of the imaging imaging that you have been invited into. Yeah. Imagery. And to say, why, why did yeah. you with trust, hopefully, yeah. why did you allow that? Yeah. You know, what was the deal with that? Which is, I mean, that's a really a fundamental human question that we yes. all have to ask. Like, Lord, yeah. why do you allow this? And with the hope that there is an answer that Moses could have asked that question and received an answer. Oh, because I wanted to share something profound with you. And so that you could be a reminder for generations to come of that. I mean, that there is an answer to those things when you're like, why on earth did I have to suffer that? Why did I have to deal with this stuff to know that there's an answer? I always think of this too, man. Like one of the things is I can celebrate with anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, St. Patrick's Day was a couple of days ago and everybody's walking down the street and they're like, St. Patrick's Day was crazy here. Oh my gosh. It was like, I'm a leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> and like um and like and then they'd be like dude i sure i mean like everybody was just like going crazy but this is the thing is that you can't share your sufferings with everybody you know but, but that's actually what jesus does is like that's his extreme humility mm -hmm. and his extreme vulnerability is that he invites us into the intimacy of his sufferings and i'll tell you if you want if i if you're if i'm going to be willing to share with you how i struggle you, like there's a real profound respect and trust that exists and that's really where um, mm. This is so beautiful. Yeah. Speaking of suffering Speaking and of sharing. Suffering, a woman. At a well. Came to a well one day. Dude, which, okay, so a well <laughs> wasn't, okay, traditionally, wells are places where people hook up. Like, that's like the- In the Old Testament, yeah. Yeah, the Old Testament. It's like the, the eHarmony.com of the Old Testament. <laughs> dude, nice. I stole that from Tom Smith, sorry. Dude, I- Who might be listening, sorry, Tom. <laughs> I was, dude, I, I referenced Tom Smith last night in my homily. Tom Smith, by the way, is where I, who pointed me to Damascus Winston, too. So, Tom Smith, you, you can take credit for this whole podcast today. Basically, Tom Smith, we love you. We do. And, and if you've made it this far into the podcast- then you should love Tom Smith too. You should love Tom Smith too because okay. he's with you. Yeah. What? Okay. <laughs> so yeah. No, wells are the place, yeah, where they go to hook up, where they find spouses, where they I should say that it's uh, romance. Romance blossoms at wells. Yeah. Right? People find their future spouses. It's kind of like yeah. it, it's where you get your MRS degree. 
<laughs> Good one. <laughs> now here's what I. <coughs> here's what I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Ty is, was cleaning the oven upstairs, and I still have oven gunk in my throat. Dude, Dude it was like, so bad. It was like it was like the house looked like it was oh on fire. He's like he was like that was I only. I reek of your oven. He was like there was only it was, it was only three minutes. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> like has it been clean since like 1974? No. Okay. So here's what bugs me a little bit. Um, I love the verse before what we get. Not to just so we get a long. Let's dude, let's lengthen. Guys, let's, a, it is, but let's lengthen the super long gospel read. Let's just put add one. Well, but so here's what verse put, four put says. One. I don't know what verse, that means. I don't know either. So chapter it starts in verse five, but tr- verse four actually says Jesus. So what does it say? Um, he says he had to pass through Samaria. So he departed Judea. Judea he went into Galilee, and he had to pass through J- Samaria. So he's going from. Uh, where's he going from from Judea to Galilee, which if you look at the ancient trade routes, 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 route, route, route. Anyway, if you look at the ancient trade routes, roads, um, there's a much more direct route from Galilee to Judea that does not go through Samaria. So he did not have to. He did not have to go through, at least geographically speaking, that line is not true. He did not have to, which means it doesn't mean that was just the only way he could go. It means he had to go there for a different reason. And, you know, in the ancient world, the people would have known this. They understood this. It would have been like saying, you know, oh, I don't know what's an equivalent. You have to, in order to get to. No, this is the thing is, is that, um, uh, you know, what? I, I'm in Greeley and I have to get to Colorado Springs and I have to go through Boulder. Right. No, you don't. You, you they, actually, that's out of your way. Yeah, they'd be like, they'd be like, you, yeah, you don't have it. to go through Boulder. But every, we all know that. Everybody who lives in Colorado would know that, would be kind of familiar with that. It's the same thing. So you're a Jew, you're reading this, and you're like, no, he didn't. <laughs> so there's something more going on here, which I, I just think is a really important point. So he goes to Samaria. Who are the Samaritans, by the way? Pop quiz! Samaritans are the muggles of the ancient world. What is a muggle? <laughs> is that a Harry Potter term? Yes, it is a Harry oh, Potter Oh, at least term. I knew it was a Harry Potter hey, Good, Good work. <laughs> Harvey um, Porter. They, uh, the Muggles are, I mean, the sorry, the Samaritans are the, um, they are the uh, uh, Jews who mingled with the nations and who did not inflict the ban uh, upon the Canaanite nations and then intermingled with them. And thus, they, are you, dude, he's looking at me with such like, dude, you are so wrong, father. No, they're half bloods. They're, they're, so yeah. they're, they're, they're Jews that are mixed with the nations. Yeah, that's true, but your story of how they came to be that way is wrong. So you're you're, ha- you're partially there. So okay, so then let me get, they get put another guess in. <laughs> no, but this is important to the story. It's fundamental to the story. I'm it, not I'm not just playing with you. Okay, well the the ten and the two or am I? The ten northern tribes got um, pulled yeah. into the nations, and then they intermingled. Well, they were forced. Forced. Well, yeah. Sorry, continue. And then they had their own temple, and they worshipped a bunch of gods up there or something. Yeah, you're you're slightly backwards. So the nation dude, split I'm backwards. No, no, no. You're in right. More no, than one way no, than one. Whatever, dude. Whatever. So you're right. So there is the nation of Israel. Okay. Civil war happens, right? Ten na- ten tribes, like you said, they go up. They found their own kingdom in the north. The two stay down south, Judah and Benjamin. But when they separate from each other, that's when they found their own temple and they worship new gods and they have their own priesthood and they do things that they really shouldn't be doing, right? Yeah. Then, as so to say, the prophets as a as a consequence for that. Um, Assyria comes in, and Assyria's battle strategy, the way that Assyria worked, the way that they overtook the world and became the, the world's superpower, was that they would take nations who they conquered and they would force them to intermarry with one another so that they could essentially create mass... Um, 
Well, it's it's ethnic genocide in a, in a lot of ways. You could destroy entire bloodlines and ethnicities by forcing nations to marry with one another. If you could destroy an entire ethnicity, you could literally obliterate races, which is, if you think about it, I mean, it's brilliantly cruel or cruelly brilliant. So that was their strategy. Now, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, partially because they were their brothers and sisters who separated and decided to abandon them. They got their punishment. But a lot of the Jewish people also believed that it, it didn't take too much coercion by the Assyrians for them to intermarry and intermingle with these other nations, right? Wow. So the people in Samaria in Jesus' time are the ones who are sort of left over, the ones who are the, the remnant, so to speak, mm. of who are, have some Israelite probably in them, but there's probably some mix too. And So it's the remnant. So they don't like each other. The two groups hate each other. Okay? Okay. Makes sense? Yep. And we knew that. Uh-huh. All right. So Jesus goes to the well. There's a woman there. Does this skip something? Yeah, no, uh, there was a well. It was about noon. Okay, it does point it out. So what do you think it would be like in the desert of the Middle East at noon? Freaking hot. Brutal. Well, you've been there. You've been to the Middle East. Dude, I've been to the Middle East. And at noon, East? No, nobody nobody goes outside. Because it's awful. It's hot. You, you could die. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, especially, I mean, you'd go to a well. A well is about the only place you could go because you're like thirsty and dehydrated. But why would you? why would you choose to go to a well at noon? Um, because you are ex- somehow you must be ostracized from yeah. the normal community. Because I bet you that people gather in the morning and at the night, and that's where yeah. that's where the love happen. <laughs> right. It's also where there's just community. I mean, so she's got something to hide. She's clearly going in a time when she doesn't want to be seen. Right. Got it. But there's Jesus. He shows up, and uh, I, so I always imagine <clears throat> Jesus with his like. <clears throat> I imagine a traditional well, which I'm sure it's totally not. He's like, got his Nalgene. He's like, fill her up. No, no, dude. He's his back and his like head is like slung back, and he's like sitting there, and he's like hot, and he's just like just bad. Like he's just in the heat, and it's just hot, and he doesn't oh. even want to talk because it's just that hot. Yeah. And what? I, yeah. But that's just what I see him as. No, that's actually that's an interesting because you know we read this and we're like Jesus is just kind of sitting there. He's but I mean it would have been brutally hot. This would have been a labored conversation, <laughs> yeah. right? Dude, I've had him in the middle of the day, and you're like, and like you're just giving everything because like yeah. you're just trying not to be hot. And Jesus was fully human, so I mean it's not he got hot, he suffered, he would have been struggling. He would have had sweaty pits, <laughs> sweaty pit, sweaty pit. Um, yeah, so it's this whole thing. You guys might know the story. He says, "Give me a drink." And she said, uh, wait, wait a second, How can, you're a Jew, clearly. How can you ask me a Samaritan? You hate us. How can you ask me for a drink for we don't have anything in common? Because isn't, isn't that like a sign of like, hey, I'm interested in you? Yeah, it's community. Well, yeah, I mean, there's two levels. There is just one community. Is sharing anything to eat or drink suggests covenant or community. But at a well in particular, you're like, ooh, you're like, this is, Yeah, like there's, there's something that like is on the edge on this one. Yeah, totally. So she's like, what are you doing? And uh, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give him a drink, then you would have asked him. You would have asked, if you understood who I was, you'd ask me for living water and I would give you a drink, a different kind of drink. And she's like, but you don't even have a bucket. You didn't bring your analogy in. This, this well is really different. What are you talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob? So that actually shows some of the family ties. They still actually regard Jacob as their father. Uh, he, he, you know, he gave us this cistern. He drank from it with his flocks. And Jesus said, okay, you know what? Everybody who drinks from this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst. And again, imagine being in a desert. You're sweating. You're baking. You're suffering. And you're like, oh, my gosh. He's telling me there's something that I could never thirst again. It's magic. Magic well, man. Magic yes, well, Show man. me your magic well. <laughs> I would like it. 
And then Jesus says, he has this great line. He says, okay, go and call your husband and come back. Dude, this is the thing is, is in my meditation this whole time, he hasn't even really looked at her. His eyes have just been closed and his Ooh. head has been back. And, th- and then he finally opens his eyes and he looks at her. Ooh, that's says, intense. And then he says, okay, go and bring me your husband. With the creepy eyes? With the creepy <laughs> eyes, dude. But, no, dude, he, <laughs> with the California server Jesus eyes. Oh, dude, go get your husband. <laughs> so, yeah, so go get your husband, come back. And what does she say? Um, Sorry, I'm not trying to. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I don't I'm have a husband. Condescending. Yeah, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying, I do not have a husband for. You have had five husbands and the one you have now isn't your husband. Okay, now think about this for a second. Let's let's take a step back for a second. John loves this biblical technique, and this happens a lot in the Old Testament, in which one person will often represent a big group of people. Now, I'm not saying that this woman isn't real. She's a literal person. I'm sure of that. But oftentimes in John's John's gospel, the one real, who is a real person, often represents a bigger group of people. So she represents the Samaritans. Now, what are we just talking about with the Samaritans? Well, when Assyria came in and wiped out the northern kingdom, yeah. they forced them to intermarry with five nations. Oh. There were five distinct nations that they were forced to marry. Oh. All of which were not their actual family, which were the Jewish people down south. Oh. So when Jesus says, you are right, you have no husband, you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband, he's not just speaking about her. He's taking a step back and talking about the entire nation of Samaria. Your people who abandoned me have had five different husbands, and the one who you are with now is not your husband. So who is the one that she is with now? Um, Think as literally and as plainly as possible. Uh, literally, who is she with now? Jesus. She's sitting with Jesus. Whoa! Whoa! whoa. Yeah. Ah, uh, dude, you. Whoa! Yeah. Hold on. The one you with now? Uh, um. Whoa! Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So he's telling the story of the Samaritans. He's telling the story of Israel. And the one you have now is not your husband. Well, because in some ways he's doing husband gestures. He is. And he is kind of wooing her in a certain way. Dude, that's way intense. This yeah. is so cool. Yeah. And then it goes on. She says, well, okay, this is crazy. I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you people, you Jews, say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And he says, believe me, the hour is coming when you are worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Why not? Because it's going to be destro- destroyed. Yeah, and it'll be me. Yeah. Um. Your people worship what you don't understand. We worship what we do understand because salvation is from the Jews, because he is Jewish and he is salvation. He is the rock. The hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Uh, Dude, you just brought this so alive for me. Isn't it crazy? I love this story. Do you ever have those moments of faith where you're like, all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, dude, this is so real. I can taste it. Do you have a glass of water? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) Ah, very good. Oh, very good. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, I have. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just had somebody did this for me. I mean, I didn't make this up. Somebody taught me this. Um, but yeah, I mean, long story short, this is a very long reading. But essentially, she goes back and she goes to her town, and there is this mass conversion. Because of the witness of this one person who's probably an outcast who had her life changed by this guy. And because of that witness, and everyone's like, who do you think you are? But they obviously see the passion in her eyes, and she actually has 
literally been transformed and she understands she understands her story she understands i think the nation's story and she understands what's coming and a whole town comes to jesus christ and recognizes him as the savior of the world this town this nation which were quite frankly a group of grumbling rebellious family members just like we had in exodus hard-hearted but they saw the water coming Mm -hmm. out of the rock, which was Christ. Mm. And what happens? The woman experiences that. She drinks it, and she's able to bring her whole town to do what the people in the time of the Exodus were never able to do, despite the fact they saw water coming out of a stone. She's actually able to get them to the point where the Exodus generation were never able to get because of of Jesus sitting in front of her. I think that's the connection. So you could kind of say that she was struck by Jesus, and then she poured forth living water into the community. Absolutely. Your tone made me think that you were going to tell a joke. <laughs> but, yeah, but yes, that was actually very profound. <laughs> Dude, that's really super, that's just so amazing. Yeah. Um, man, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to mm. reap what you have not worked for. Oh, that was, I didn't even realize I was referencing this reading earlier. Dude, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Dude, that's that's the best. And, and then uh-huh. many people began to believe. Dude, this is the thing is that what is living water, man? I'll tell you, you know, like there's this, there's something, there is something so distinct about Jesus. Mm. And, and when you, when you encounter it and you, when you taste it, like it really is this, Mm. it really is this living water. And like, and, and so in some ways it's like when you see Moses and you can say, okay, you know what? Like we're going to have stuff that helps us survive. Yeah. There's a difference between, okay, I need this to survive versus this, versus um, this is life. Right. Like, like, and, and, and it's a very subtle distinction because survival is life. I mean, it's like, but, but this is, this is it, man. And why does, but this is the thing though. Why does God choose water to use for baptism? The sign that brings us to life because water already represented life for the entire globe. Water means life. Why does he choose to make himself, um, to come under the appearances of bread? Because bread equals life. People already get this. So if you can take something and then make it profoundly into what it already symbolized, you take that symbol and you sacramentalize it. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason, you know, because water already already has that meaning. Yeah. So you just get to take it to the next level. Same with bread. Same with wine. Same with quail. Same with... <laughs> That's where it says they, it came out of their noses. Isn't that your favorite? It is. It's like, <laughs> could you imagine eating so much quail that it's... That you're just like, <laughs> dude, that's like projectile vomiting quail, dude. Oh, beak came out of my nose. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, oh, man. Oh, that's, that's a happy note to end on. Yeah, that really is. <laughs> Do you know that I love ending homilies just like this right now, where you like say something really profound and then you're like, oh, yeah, and then this beak came out of my nose. God love you. Oh, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode for the fourth Sunday Blend. Fourth Sunday Blend. Send us an email. Um, Find us on Facebook. We've been kind of short on the, on the shout outs, but that's, we, I don't know. I don't know if we just haven't had any or if I don't even know. But we've been meaning to shout you out in case. Short on the short outs. Short. short, short the, we've been shouting short. on the short outs. Short on the shout outs, but heavy on the, heavy on the good stuff. That's, that's it. what we're trying to do. Keep it real, friends. All right. We will see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.